This morning, we're going to be dealing with the older brother. He represents the religious leaders of his day. As we said last week, they were lost. They were clueless. Further evidence of that was that in the very near future, they crucified the very Messiah. They pray for three times a day. Now, as I approach this message, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to sit there and think, wow, this is really great sermon, and then you fill in the blank of another name. (laughs) You never do that, do you? I want this to be a sermon because it reflects on us religious people. I want you to think like a mirror and say, Lord, reveal in me where I have been like this older brother. Reveal in my heart where I'm not aligned with your heart. So no texting, sending the link of the sermon to somebody you think should hear it, okay? Think about yourself. Think about what God wants to say to you this morning. Luke chapter 15, we are going to read the context of the older brother talking to his father. And again, after the younger brother comes home, after they throw a party, after he gives him a ring and a robe and a celebration... The father goes out to the older brother, and here is the relationship. In verse 25, now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And when he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant, he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, said, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he, the father, said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now last week we began looking at some clues. That if we have the heart of the older brother, what does that look like? I mean, we noted that the heart of the older brother was not the heart of the father. And so last week, we talked about two. One was that the older brother had this undercurrent of anger. He became angry. He refuses to go in. He stays away. He refuses to enter into the fellowship of the father. And secondly, we talked about what Tim Keller talks about. It's duty without beauty. He says, look how I have served you. And you can almost hear him saying, you don't appreciate me like you should. Now I want to look at the third this morning. Duty without beauty. But the third is what I call the sin of offense. He was offended. He was upset. Things didn't go his way. And this is huge in our culture, isn't it? Everyone's offended at everything and everyone. And when you break it down, we get offended two ways. 
One is when we have been treated unjustly. When that happens, we get offended. The second way is when we believe we've been treated unjustly, (laughs) we get offended. But that's where pride comes in. And it's so subtle. See, when we get offended, it causes us to view our life and our situation and our circumstances. And we live as a victim, not as a son. Repentance is for the younger brother, not for the older. And we know three areas he was offended. You can read in the text. First was money. He's trying to figure out why dad is throwing a party when he already gave him his inheritance. And translation goes this way. Dad, you're spending my money. He doesn't deserve it. Money's an idol of our world. And people get offended offended over money today. The second area he's offended was power. If you note in the conversation with the father, the father is supposed to be over the son. But what does the son do? The son desires to control the father. Dad, you should have done it this way. Here's what you should have done. You should listen to me. So he's offended over the power issue. And the last, he was offended over the party. And you notice when we're offended, we lose the joy. We don't want to enter in celebrations. We don't want to enter into what God's doing. In fact, when we get offended... We cannot see what God is up to. We cannot see God working all around us. And we cannot celebrate another coming home if it is personal. See, we can do it for someone out there we don't know. But when it's family, we get all this little tunnel vision. And we get into our own little world. Jesus talking to his disciples one day said this. Luke 17 verse 1. Just listen to the verse. And he said to his disciples, temptations. Now, the word there is offense in some translations. The word actually means scandal, scandal on. Offense to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. And what he's saying is this, listen, people are going to get offended. But watch out. If you allow this sin of offense in your life, it's going to create a scandal. Now, we know that offended people can quote scripture with the best of them. We see Satan quoting scripture when he tempts Jesus. But so often with the scripture, we do what's called a misdirect. We take scripture, we take it out of context, we misalign the meaning to suit our victimhood, our offense, and not the truth. See, offended people, their filters are not the father's love and mercy and celebration for the younger brother who came home. No, Offended people, it's their hurts and their rejection and their perception about what is transpiring in this relationship. And so offended people, the focus becomes on self-preservation and victim and tunnel vision. It's all about them. It's their perspectives, their wounds. And offended people say this, you know, somebody has to fix this, but they have to fix it the way I think it should be fixed. Offended people can't even see that last week, 185 churches in China were burned by the government. That happened last week. Talk about religious persecution. In the last six months, the China government has put over one million Muslims in what we call concentration camps. But see, offended people can't deal with the world context and situations around the world. It's just their little situation and their hurt and their wounds. 
With offended people, it's a heart issue. And that fence clouds our vision. So, clues about whether we're the older brother, the undercurrent of anger, duty, just for the sake of duty, not for the beauty of Christ, being offended, and finally, what I call a lack of self-awareness, or what Scripture calls blindness. Did you note the one phrase in the passage I read? The older brother says, I have never disobeyed. And I stop there and say, really? And then he says, you never gave me. I mean, the father did something unthinkable that was so reckless in their culture. He gave, yes, a third of the inheritance to the younger brother. He already gave the older brother his two thirds. We read that at the beginning of the story. Now you might sit there and say, that's not fair, but that was their culture. Oldest brother got two thirds, younger brother got a third. And he sits there and says, I never disobeyed you and you never gave me. It's blindness. And blind people believe they're right even when they're not. A psychologist by the name of M. Scott Peck wrote a book called People the Lie. And he talks about this very nature where people are so deceived and people are so blind, they don't even know they're lying to themselves. Now, the addiction community knows something called interventions. It's where they grab, gather, gather a group of people around a person and they intervene because this person's blind. They're on a path to destruction. They can't see it. They don't listen to anybody. They don't listen to all the clues around them. I think sometimes in the church we need a little more interventions. And I'm not talking about addiction, I'm talking about attitudes and perspectives. And the lies that we've grown to believe. Now, what's interesting about blind people also is they believe that everyone thinks and feels just like them. Even when all the evidence proves otherwise. Let me give an illustration. Early in my ministry, this is like, man, 40 years ago. We used to, in the denomination I was part of, had something called a pastoral vote of confidence. Let me explain what that was. The leader of the denomination would come in on a Sunday morning and they would have a vote. Thumbs up, thumbs down. And it was nameless. Do you want Pastor Greg to stay? You want him to leave? I got to tell you right now, those votes were absolutely horrible. Because you know when you preach and people get upset, who do they blame? The preacher, that's right. A lot of things that can be blamed for, but that's not one of them, okay? So, one situation where it was a tough church and they never kept their pastors very long. And there's this group, and this group's always convinced that whoever they have shouldn't be there. And they were convinced that I'd be voted out. Well, when the vote came back, I had one of the higher votes in the church history. It was about 93%. Now, if you guess, they made about 7% of the church. That's about right. Here was their comment afterwards. They go, well, everybody lied. Because they didn't want to hurt Pastor Greg's feelings. They couldn't believe anything outside of their own perspective. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, how many believe that we're kind of in the end times? Raise your hand. Okay, do you really? Are you sure you believe it? Because I don't think you do. Here's why. In Matthew 24, and we'll get to these verses in a moment. Just kind of wait. I want to get the background. 
Jesus says, listen, in the last times, you got to be careful because people are going to lead you astray. In fact, many people are going to come and they're going to say, I'm the Christ, and they're really not. And then he adds this thought. He says, you will be delivered up to tribulation and be put to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, today in America, we once called pain-free Christianity. And if you really believe that we're in the end times, he says, we're going to have tribulation, death, hatred. And that's not pain-free, is it? But listen to what he says to the church, okay? Matthew 24, verse 10. We'll put the scripture on the screen. It says, then many will fall away. This is the church, people. This isn't people outside of the church. This is the church. Many people will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray because lawlessness will be increased. And here's the tragic part. It says, the love of many will grow cold what he describes here is the church stops being the church they're not motivated and driven by the love of God rather they stop going they actually turn on each other some even hate each other we have many that are false but you know it's interesting Paul says to Timothy that you got to be careful because you're going to gather teachers Tickling your ears? You know what that means? We find people who agree with us. And we gather in a corner somewhere and we just hate everybody else because we're the only ones that are going to get to heaven. But it breaks my heart when it says the love of many will grow cold because how can we ever reach people? How can we ever grow in Christ if we don't love each other? Now, last week I read a passage about the religious leaders. And in Matthew 23, he looks at the Pharisees who were the leaders of the church and said, listen, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And you yourself don't go in. In fact, he says, for every person you convert to your way, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. I mean, that's pretty harsh words. Now, he goes on to say this in Matthew 23, verses 16 through 19. He says, woe to you. He calls them blind guides. It's the blind leading the blind. Blind fools. Just means they're intellectually, they're blind. They can't even think very well through circumstances. And then he says, you blind men. And I should tell you right now, that does not exclude the ladies. <laughs> But here's what Jesus was saying to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He says, you are the false prophets. You are the ones leading people astray. You're the ones who claim to speak with the authority of God based on God's word. And you are lost. Now, I want to go back to perspective is everything for a moment. We talked about that last week. And I want to illustrate with the word offense. In my journey as a pastor, I'm finding today more and more Christians are offended at what I call politically correct language. I find a lot of people now being offended through pronouns. They talk about gender insensitivity in scripture. And they get all caught up in this and I sit there and say, you're missing the deep truth of God's word. I mean, truth is always bound by culture and context. Let me illustrate. Barbara Walters gives an interview 
on 2020. It's about gender roles in Cabal, Afghanistan. And they were talking about past when the Taliban ruled. And in the past when the Taliban ruled, women used to have to stay five paces behind their husbands. Because husbands were superior, all this kind of stuff. Revolution happened. Taliban's kicked out. Women had a newfound freedom. But Barbara noticed that the women still walked five paces behind their husbands. And they seemed happy to do it. So in this interview, of course, being an American, she asked the question this way. She goes, why do you seem to be happy with an old custom that denigrates women when you have the freedom not to? I mean, listen to the intent of the question. One lady leans over, looks at Barbara Walters straight in the face, and without hesitation says, landmines. Perspective is everything, isn't it? So we have this passage. Here's what the older brother could not see. He saw the two-thirds. He saw the money. He saw that it's going to be his someday in terms of the power. But he couldn't see all that the father had for him. He was blind. He was offended. He was angry. He was there because of duty. And he missed out on this incredible grace and love of Jesus. Now I want to illustrate this. I'm just curious how many people really love chocolate. Oh, okay. Now I already asked two ladies down here that got baptized. They're going to come up stage. They're going to help me. Because they both said they love chocolate. Yes, you guys, come on up. Come right up here. Now... Who wants to be the older brother and who wants to be the younger brother? brother. You're the older? Okay. So you get two-thirds, she gets a third. Okay. Well, yeah, that's what the older brother. See, so you get two. There you go. She only gets one. But here's the bad news. You blew yours. Okay. So it's gone. (laughs) Someone else gets it. Okay. No, no, no. Older brother. In the story, in the story, older brother says, they're mine. She doesn't get anything. Okay? And the older brother is so wrapped up in those two bars that misses the younger brother coming home and what the father has for them. Now, here's what daddy has. Okay? That's no candy bar. That's a candy bar. Okay. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of chocolate in the house this week, okay? That's for you. Yes. Okay. Thank him for helping out. And you know what breaks my heart? I see so many older brothers settling for so little. I'm going to read a passage in closing. I'm going to go down through Galatians 3 first. Listen to this. It says, for in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, ladies, don't get offended that he calls you sons of God. He does it for a reason. And men, don't get offended. You're called the bride of Christ, okay? Same kind of deal. 
For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he goes this, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ. Now he gets to this point in chapter four. Look at Galatians four, verse one. He says, I mean that the heir, okay, that's the eldest son. As long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, then an heir through God. Here is the shocking truth of this. Every single person here this morning found in Christ is a full heir. Everyone. Men, women, slaves. That was heresy in the day of Jesus. Everyone's a son. Everyone has the rights of a son. Everyone has the inheritance of a son. I mean, what does that mean? It really means three things. One is there's deep security. Being a son, there's this legal adoption thing. It's not gradual. It's a sudden legal status. It is granted on the day of your salvation. You're adopted. Deep security. You know, so often we act like the younger son where we say, I'm going to go back to daddy and say, make me your hired hand. But daddy comes out and he gives the ring, the robe and throws a party. To the older son, what's he say? Everything I have is yours. But he doesn't get it. He's looking at this little pauper inheritance in his hands and cannot understand the majestic inheritance await for him. Two, it means intimate access. I mean, children have access to a parent unlike anyone else. Daddy, tie my shoe. And daddy gets down and ties their shoe. It's a relationship like no other when it's healthy. It also means it's future hope. There's a new heavens, new earth. I mean, you get to take over the family business. Here's what I think you should say when people ask you what you do. Say, you know, I'm part of a global family business that has assets in every country, in every state, in every county, in every town around the world. It's a father-son enterprise. And their spirit pervades every aspect of their work. And I am in the will for everything. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to close with this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says this. And when you understand the inheritance, the sonship, the adoption, when you really get this, this verse makes sense. Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen? Amen. Amen. Remind you that these fine sons and daughters, greet them afterwards as they share their story. And chocolate. (laughs) Some are already after that. But let's stand together. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing our way out of this place. Father God.
You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in every place. Forgive us when we fail to see that. Forgive us when we reduce our lives down to a pauper inheritance that we think is important. Forgive us when we are the older brother and we are harsh and judgmental towards each other. Forgive us, Lord, when we just fail to see you and your grace and your mercy. Forgive us when we lack the joy that you've called us to live in. I pray for all of us, Lord, that when we leave this place, we go joyful, we go humble, that we are called your sons and your daughters. And I pray that you just help by your spirit us to understand that. And we live as what Paul says, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. And that we understand that there is absolutely nothing above, beneath, or in this world that can ever take that away. So help us, Lord, to live like the king's kids. And be a light in the midst of darkness that we see around us. May the light of Christ define us and not this darkness. And we pray these things in your name. And everyone said, amen.